The Lady of the Rock by Emily Pfeiffer Read for LibriVox.org by Philip Gould Part One. Rose red for the banner of love, and a blush for the cheek of the bride. To the valleys and hills of fair Loch Fine the word went far and wide. They will marry this day, and marry to death our flower of ladies, Elizabeth. On through the valleys and down from the hills, as the gathering cry of the clan had called them forth, through the moithering mist the lieges rode, or ran, to meet at the foot of the runic cross, and ring out the heart of their wrong and loss, and there met them here and there on the breeze, faint as a word of shame, the sound of a bell, but they knew not well as dubiously it came, or whether it chimed or whether it tolled, but they thought a knell had been more bold. And they questioned the wind as it rose and fell above and about Loch Fine, the wind that lashed at the shrinking wave and harried the grove of pine. Is your cry as the cry of her love on the rack, or only Our Lady's coronac? But when they had come to the cross and thence peered over the castle wall, and beheld the rout that was thronging the court and the train that swarmed out of the hall, with the banners that flaunted beside the door, and the dog and the ship that the banners bore, and saw by the fiery beard and eyes and the motions cold and dull, that the man who was leading the bartered bride was Maclean of Duart and Maul. Then they knew they had married to worse than death their flower of ladies, Elizabeth. Rose red is the banner of love, but this bride is pale, snow pale, and she grows snow-cold as he helps her to horse, as the touch of the groom were bale. But she proudly follows the lead of fate, nor once looks back when she passes the gate. Some tuneless souls will meet and make no answering music here, but keep in our low reverberate air the peace of the outer sphere, and passing mix with the silent dead and leave the word of our life unsaid but not Glenaris falls at spate with their lusty voice for praise, and not the vocal heart of spring that beats in its covert ways, not stream or merle or plaining dove went ever so near to utter love as twain who under the marriage tree once heard their voices all, and sent a confluent answer back to the cuckoo's double call, sudden note so piercing sweet it drowned the waterfall, till with the primrose she grew pale, he wakeful with the nightingale. For all as wise as their hearts had been to know and to claim their own, they saw how oft by the felon world love's dues are overthrown. The world that knows not thine or mine but snatches a treasure from off a shrine. And so it fell from the deep argyle had a bargain he would make, and his sister must be the seal of it should it burn her heart or break. Thus he married her to the slow, the dull, red-bearded tyrant, the chief of Maul. The clansmen saw her where she came in the hold of the red Maclean, who once had ridden more free than free with love at her bridal rein, and passing left them for lingering trace the smile that had flowered on every face. They let her go with never a word, was never a word to say. McCallum Moore was lord of all, and his will must have its way. Though the heart of the speechless bride was wrath as the torrent roaring beside her path, but when to Cladji's ferry they came and the chief had called a halt, 
while his shaggy train on bite and sup were making swift assault she lighted down and knelt beside an image of the crucified there overborne with the stroke of fate as droopingly she sunk she had not known how near her heart there knelt a cowled monk till he took her hand and whispered low and she felt it riven with joy and woe here was the voice in all the world for her the only voice the hand whose touch in face of death had made her sense rejoice and for these hearts with love so rife one moment but of common life up love and fly for one heartbeat love had and held his own they mingled breath they mingled tears a word and he had flown had carried her over ford and dyke from campbell's and mclean's alike she strove with him she clasped the cross let pine she said or die but never from this forefront of fate tempt me to fail or fly it has not been laid upon any man but on me to suffer and save the clan mccallum moore has spared to meet mclean as in open fight so awake or asleep in his island keep i must face him day or night for a true argyle is but one thing sure the will and the word of mccallum moore they look to the right they look to the left o fair and cruel world where tender firstlings of the spring on gusts of march are hurled the wild wind bent the pine tops tall it rent the folded leaves and small the mocking sun laughed down on all they looked to left they looked to right and lo through the cloven mist lock awe that laughed to the laughing sun as stormily they kissed cold sun she said in bitter bliss dear love be witness never kiss of man shall mar the print of this a heavy freight bore down that day the cladgy's ferry-boat and one that saw it had liefer seen it founder i think than float better a bride so foully wed were bedded here in the lake he said but the lake would none of them bride or groom or scurvy train and tossed twixt cladgy's ferry and brander pass the boat that crossed and crossed and the eyes that hung on the throat of the pass saw blocking the way of love the mass of dark ben crocken or ere they turned in wrath from the path of men and the wayworn bride by forest and flood through moss and reedy fen went forced on her way in the teeth of the wind by the men of mull who were trooping behind they crossed the sound the dim isle seems adrift in the wind and rain as cold in the shadow of castle duart its sodden shore they gain but the iron click of the stanchion gate rings home like the closing jaws of fate her bower maidens had busked the bride the feast was long and loud but she scarce had sat at the board more still had she sat there in her shroud and her courage failing for weary head tis a far cry to lock all she said part two the wassail had reached its stormy height the feast was over in hall when there came and stood at the lady's side a gloomy sensical as he pointed the way to a turret dear she knew it led to the bride chambere and she that was rose of fair argyle a white rose she was then stood up and waited no second sign but bowed to the roistering men and passed with her bower-maids out of the hall in the lead of the wordless sensical then some who noted her proud and pale bent laughing over the board 
She's as white as a widow's callant, they said, who should wed a maiden sword. And in sooth the Lady Elizabeth had blithelier followed the feet of death than the form which fronting the torch's glare cast a giant shade on the turret stair. And when she stood in her bridal bower she turned to her maidens twain. No hand but this of mine may dress the bride of the red Maclean. So lend me but your prayers this night, and fare ye well till the fair daylight. She cast her garments one by one, alone as she stood there. She was to sight no summer flower, but a woman deadly fair. When forth she drew the golden comb and loosed the golden hair, which sheathed her body to her knee, a ringed and burnished panoply. Then as a swimmer with her arms the amber flood she spurned, to either side and in her hand she took a gem that burned, that rose and fell upon her heart as a thing that bore in its life apart. Twas a golden dragon in jeweled mail that lay betwixt breast and breast, over that gentle lady's heart, couched as a lance in rest, and that cunning sample of goldsmith's work it was the handle of a dirk. She drew it forth of its leathern sheath, and she felt its steely edge, then gave some drops of her quick young blood to its point, as if in pledge. Ere she wound her hair in a silken thong, and the dirk in that golden chain and strong, she laid the dragon again to sleep in its balmy place of rest. O oh God, that a home so soft and fair should harbor such a guest! Then her winsome self she rearrayed, and fell on her trembling knees, and prayed. She muttered many an ave then, and told off many a bead, till her passion sealed her lips for words but mocked so sore a need. Then she stopped and listened beside the breeze, and only waited upon her knees. And as she listened the distant sound of wassail ceased, and all, her soul rushed armed into her ears at the sound of a dull footfall, which wound its way to the topmost tower, where was the lady's bridal bower. The wind was piping through lock and loop, but of nothing was she ware. There was no sound in all the world but that foot upon the stair. As she listened and heard it rise, her soul rushed armed into her eyes. She stood up wide in her snowy pall, a breathing image of death, the torchlight crowning her radiant hair, her somber face beneath. As I am a virgin pure this night, so keep me, God, through dark to light. As I am a child of the deep argyle, souls of my fathers, teach me while. The iron door on its hinges turned and closed on the married twain, and redder yet from his deep carouse there stood the red Maclean. And their four eyes met, and no word was said till his glance fell off on the vacant bed. Then she, I have prayed of Mary's grace that she would us assoil for that this day with lips forsworn we sought to cut the coil of mortal hate that has ever lain betwixt the Argyle and Maclean. Then low he laughed, To kneel and pray, lady, beseemeth thee, but to make of our false oath a true is the task that fitteth me. My word before the morrow's sun ye shall avouch the work well done. He moved a step to where she stood, and she recoiled a pace. His wandering eyes again were set in wonder on her face. They paused. They made a mutual stand. His breath fell hot upon her hand. You are a lord of the isles, quoth she, and the islemen's mood is light. 
but I am a child of the firm mainland, and I change not in a night. There is naught of me that a man may win, and I think not to overlay sin with sin. Now nothing could hap that would make us twain but false as woman and man. Yet by the grace of God we may still be true, each to our name and clan, and each to each in a sidelong way true to the bond we have sealed this day. You ask for a gauge of my feudal chief, but of me nor word nor smile. You sought but to better the strength you had with the strength of the deep argyle. You shall have your due, but no more of me than a contract seal and warranty. He laughed in his beard. Aye, many have tried, but all have tried in vain to meet with a measure that was not his, the due of the Red MacLean. Still with iron hand he has held his right, but never so close as he willed this night. She set herself as a hind at bay. She straightened her back to the wall. I that am come as a hostage here, would you use me as a thrall? Not so, quoth he, but by limb and life I'll use you as my wedded wife. I am an earl's daughter, she said, and my oath is worth a knight's, and I swear by the health of my mother's soul that the kiss which first alights on me as we two lie in bed shall have the force to strike me dead. You are an earl's daughter, he said, and a maid without a stain. But as you are here in Castle Duart, and I the Red MacLean, that oath shall no more be your screen than if you were the veriest queen. She shrunk as into the granite wall she parried his rude embrace. His fierce eyes glowed like the autumn fern, his breath was hot on her face. Her heart seemed knocking against the stone, it beat as it would burst her zone. She cried a cry, but it fell stillborn, it died in her throat for fear though the meaning ablaze in the dauntless gaze of her flame-blue eyes was clear. And it was that the Lady Elizabeth was ready to give as to take of death. Her hand bore hard on her heaving breast, and he knew whereto it clung, and he saw how her eyes on the turn of his two deadly warders hung. Then his caitiff soul succumbed to hers, he let her go and sprung back, with the cry of a ravening beast balked on the eve of a gory feast. Twice already that tyrant chief had seen the accusing steel, cleaving the way to his savage heart in a victim's last appeal. And he hated more the better he knew the flash of that lightning cold and blue. He glanced at the dagger's golden string, and his sodden wit grew clear. Where to, where to, I will stalk this maid as we stalk the highland deer. The fumes of wassail that left his brain had left it free to fear. She is yet too wild, he said, and deep, to be taken waking or asleep. He spoke her fair, you have journeyed far by mountain and by flood, and to you of all that life hath dear, sleep only seemeth good. So you shall taste untroubled rest this night, as twere a stranger guest. Her left hand sheathed the shining dirk, she gave to him her right. Now lay your sword betwixt us two, as you are a belted knight. Then God be watch and ward, she said, and stretched herself by the sword in bed, and hourly, as the night wore on, she lay in the deepening gloom, her two hands folded upon her breast like a statue on a tomb. But she seemed to feel the dirk beneath her fingers, tingling in its sheath. 
and the moon came softly out of a cloud near the midmost of the night, and through the loophole gazed at her, she lying still and white, beside the castle's lord who slept while she her weary vigil kept. But when the morning's face rose pale o'er the shoulder of Kurokin Ben, she stole from out the bride Chambert, a joyful woman then, and alone in face of the risen sun she dared to weep. The day was won. Part three. When the morning board with the rests of the feast was set, and the martial kin, the vassals in chief of the castle's lord, still heavy with sleep, dropped in, they found a smiling chatelaine threading her keys on a silver chain. And still when her lord, like a thundercloud full-charged, came lowering down with her own white hand, she served to him the prime of the venison. So tending him in the downward eyes, it hooved him not to speak or rise. Thus every morning she was meek as a loving wife might be, and full of service and soothfastness as a lady of high degree, in a house and hall a guden's power, a gracious presence in lady's bower. At eventide she graced the feast with a face of merry cheer, and her voice to the harp when the harp went round, as the laverock's note was clear. So she singeth in the night, they say, as a bird that singeth in the day. And seeing her so amenable and lovely in daylight hour, her lord would follow as time might serve for dalliance in lady's bower, where sitting apart on the window-stone they parlayed together as if alone. And once, she making the shuttle fly, her maiden spinning near, he seized her fluttering hands and laughed, They are captives, white with fear. Nay, call them rather, she laughed back, pale victims, faithful on the rack. And seeing her frail as she was fair, he measured with thievish eye the length of the dirk which clove her breast, and thought where the hilt might lie. But he saw no way through her silken suit, which clipped her close as the rind the fruit. And seeing her fair as she was frail in the sting of a newborn need, his tuneless voice for once rang true, his fierce tongue learnt to plead. Then her daylight face was in eclipse, the shadow of night on her eyes and lips. As she answered him, While the stars endure you will get no more of me, than what you hold at my brother's hand, for a gift is of the free. That hour which made us two hand fast, the time to win as to woo was past. You are haggard, dame, as a hawk, he said, and he gave her hands reprieve. But we tame the wildest tercelet that ever we let live. Then he rose and left the bower in wrath, and the stones cried out upon his path. Craft is the strength of Argyle. She knows our heads are under one hood, but that hood shall be cover for mine alone, if ever me seemeth good. The sleuth-hound in vain, if he failed of that, had been held in leash with the mountain-cat. Now is better than then, good brother Argyle. New love is like new wine. I will put to the proof this brotherly shield before it is worn too fine. And see, when my hand has done a thing, how you make it good in the eye of the king. He called aloud to his name's men all, as they loitered about the court. Come, rouse ye men for a bloody raid, and I warrant ye good sport. The better that we by night shall stoop, and seize our prey in a silent swoop. 
and some of your band must go by land, and some shall come by sea, and those shall ride with Malcolm Moore, and these shall sail with me. Our meeting place, Glengarry Bay, the boats, there needs no more to say. Then some to horse and some to ship, some sailed, some rode or ran, while shrill at their head the pipers played the gathering of the clan. The work was death, the road was rough, they knew no more it was enough. But when they came to Loch Nakeel, nor pipe nor voice was heard. You might have caught, as you brushed the ling, the cry of a brooding bird. And a league or ever you reach the shore, have steered by the dull Atlantic roar. Then warily they at Glengarry Bay made sign to the waiting boat, and the word goes round whereto they are bound, as they silently get afloat. And they steal upon Cairnburg's island keep, where it lies in the cradling surf asleep. Then little they heard of the scared seabird or the near Atlantic roar, for the fierce war clang of the crossing swords as led by Malcolm Moore. They stormed the keep, and its keepers slew, or laid in irons before. MacLean with his merry men sailed in, safe to conquer, and bold to win. He passed the body of Cairnburg's lord with its gaping wounds and red, and he spurned it from him with his foot. He did not fear the dead. Then he filled a horn and gave a toast. We'll drink, quoth he, to our silent host. The thirsty crews swarmed up, they left the dead men in the bound, and drunk with blood in wassail deep their reeling senses drowned. The captives' groans, the victors' glee, the lashing of the ruthless sea, made up the wild world's harmony. O loving God, whom all men loved when hating most their kind, they lifted bloody hands in prayer, now all are stricken blind. And we never more may see the sun till all men's eyes and hearts are one. Then Red MacLean set his signet seal on the castle's garnered store. Then he filled his pouch with its gold and gave the keys to Malcolm Moore, whom he left in charge, bold man and true, while himself took ship with his jolly crew. And he thought to this frost-bound maid of mine, when I come red-handed in, will the ice of her virgin pride break up? Shall I come as I came? to win. But the spirits that wrought for him by day were not at night, and she held her way. Then he fell in longing by day and night, as the sick man longs for health, and he longed for her by night and day, as the beggar longs for wealth, as one who hung over the pit of hell might clutch at a star-beam ere he fell. And his stricken thought turned round on himself, and his dim low-lying soul caught a shadowy glimpse of a fairer way as he deemed to a fairer goal. So a heavier stone on his heart was flung, which helped but to sink him where he hung. He dreamed of tortures of rare device as to give his passion ease, and once in his dire extremity he sued her upon his knees. But alone, without her Campbell shield, who knows to die, needs not to yield. For bulwark, and for last defense, she had the strength of steel. The sword betwixt them was a sign, the dagger was a seal. And each fine hair that wound about the dagger's hilt, a watchful scout. But sitting alone on the window-stone, though still was the summer air, she heard a whispering on the sea, a moaning she knew not where. Then she looked to the hills where the two winds meet, and saw them wrestle together, and beat each against each, and pant and smoke, like beasts that fret in unequal yoke. 
and she said o love that i knew so fair whoever had thought of thee that thy summary breath could raise the storm and the wreck who shall it be were the end but death would it now were here and a white fringed pall on my maiden beer part four as the red maclean went to and fro twixt Stewart and cairnburg tower one day he chanced to spy a rose it seemed a single flower with an open eye but in some closed part the bud was shaping a double heart and this flower grew up so fresh and fair on land that was held in fief the trejnish isles which her father owned of maclean a vassal chief and this fair maid having a vassal soul of her beauty paid the tyrant toll and his galled spirit found ease in her from the bond of the proud argyle and his famished pride rose up full-fed and rampant beneath her smile that he laughed his laugh i will take this flower and plant as a thorn in my lady's bower so he took the maiden with him in croup and to castle duart they came where my lady looked her through and through without or pity or blame would god she thought this flower would twine and establish herself in this place of mine so she let it be and it wound and wound it was so soft and young so lithe as the green shoots felt their way but they hardened where they clung till they bent the stake the way they chose for this plant it was a climbing rose and the red maclean the chief of the clan to her was the chief of men and she thought in her pride could i win to his side as the mists upon cruachan ben my matron coif would be born so high it would shine the first in the great world's eye now maclean in the strength of others is waxed so proud that naught avails but the ships that traverse the sound of mull must lower their topmost sails when of duart they come within gunshot still the woman who called him lord bent not she looked from the seeming single flower that twined until none knew how the tender shoot that had clasped a twig had all but been a bough to her baffled lord for his changed desire had held her safe in its counterfire and he who noted her morning face grow clearer and yet more clear beheld her the only untamed thing of all that came him near and his longing was as the thirst for blood his hate was the hate of fear and the fear and longing so grew and grew that together they rove his heart in two and still he saw her the bond that bound clan campbell to his name and knew the issue between them one that for very pride and shame in his strong walls filled with his vassal kin his hand unholpen must lose or win the round world spinning about the sun appeareth a twofold arc it nothing knoweth of high or low but only of light and dark that many dreaming they climb a height are boring deep in the pitchy night so the wilding rose it crept and crept it was so soft and fair that it wound till it reached the chamber door at the top of the turret stair as its sweetness waited the air within she thought one night he will twirl the pin he will open and put my lady forth he will set me by his side and so it fell and my lady rose and passed in her virgin pride from out of the chamber adown the stair with a foot as light as a bird of the air then the fierce maclean when as chatelaine she greeted him from her place and he caught the tenser tone of her voice the light on her morning face was hounded as by the devils in hell to quench the spirit he could not quell and his limmer striking deeper root still darkly wound her way 
for she hated who only reigned at night the woman who ruled by day and at castle duart the fiends full fain went up and down betwixt these twain then the limmer made an image of wax alike in every part to my lady's self and when all was done she stuck it through the heart dwindle and dwine in shade and shine she said till all of thine be mine and ever beside the waxen shape in the gloaming of the day with folded hands she crooned the curse as a troubled soul might pray dwindle and dwine in shade and shine till all be mine that now is thine in an evil hour the baffled chief looked in as she crooned the spell he plucked the shroud from the waxen shape you have wrought this passing well my lady's face and the smile thereof here hate hath done the work of love my lady's face as she lives not so my lady's face he said not as she lives to flout us to but as she might lie dead then each glanced up as in vague surprise and shrunk at the light in the other's eyes for the wish that was quick in the woman's breast had mothered the thought of the man and he said i harry this work of wax and the woman you would ban shall feel the sting in her heart of stone but his laugh rang hollow and died a groan he seized the knife he struck it anew he turned in the wounded wax take heed of this bloodless beauty he said that thereof nothing lacks we will keep this saint as in a shrine she may be worth your life and mine he led his limmer forth and turned the key ere he went his gate if hate can do the work of love so love the work of hate then his fierce heart surged in its beaten pride as the great wave surged in the high springtide part five my lady sat in her bower and span from a newly plenished creel she loved the wild sea noise that drowned the droning of her wheel nor feared to hear the low winds race through the tall spear-grass to their meeting-place but the restless wind awoke her heart where her love was laid asleep and it rose up wild like a startled child it waked like a child to weep o world forlorn in the wan gray weather and young heart weeping and wailing together for the wrestling wind recalled a time when the gray wan world was green when the sun was high her lost love nigh and the sting of love so keen in the stroke that cleft her heart in twain she knew not if it were joy or pain the wind the waves the droning wheel no new sound thrilled the air but her flesh made motion that some strange thing some loathly to life stood there she stopped her wheel the fine thread broke it was her lord he laughed he spoke wouldst give your thought in my thought stead you'd win by the exchange he said she turned from him she locked her hands and laid them athwart her breast she feared belike his questing gaze from sanctuary might rest a name she knew the faintest breath betraying would betray to death put by your wheel and spin no more come lady and come with me you ever have loved the singing wind you love the dancing sea my beerlin is on the shore leave flax and fancies spin no more his voice was soft his words were smooth his eye had a feline glow you seemed to see it burn more bright that the light was waxing low 
He smiled, repeating as before, Leave flax and fancies, spin no more. She left her wheel, she left her bower, She followed the false MacLean. The piper piped them to the shore, He piped a doleful strain. The pibroch of MacCrimmon Moor, The way you go, you'll come no more. The chieftain's foster brethren twain hung on the shallop's side, that shook in the breeze as a courser shakes, ere he steadies himself in his stride. The lady barely brooked their help in her strength of youth and pride. They backed the boat through the blown sea-scurf, and bored her all in the boiling surf. The helm was tain of the red MacLean, the oars of Donald Dhu, and Shamish, he of the bloody hands and they were a grisly crew. But my lady's spirit rose bold and free twixt the singing wind and the dancing sea. O youth, what art thou for gallant stuff, well known to the fiend despair? Of him you haply will take of death, but never will doff to care. A gleam of sun, a breath of brine, will mount your pulses as brisk new wine. The good boat breasted the creaming wave, she rose in the teeth of the breeze. She charged again as a fiery steed was stricken aback by the seas. The mountains seemed to soar and dive, the dim world heaved as yet alive. The Norse-built keep of Castle Duart, that one while gaunt and bare, looked glowering from its stony height, melted as smoke and air. As faint from chat dissolving shore the pibroch wailed, you'll come no more. But where the two winds meet, the drift had loosed a lurid cloud, which floated up as the tide went down, in fashion as a shroud, or liker to a woman drowned, with arms outspread and hair unbound. As the rowers caught in the lady's eyes a shadow of vague affright, they turned about on their laboring oars to question the waning light, and deep in the downdraft of one thought a moment those four souls were caught, then looked at her with wolfish eyes and fierce the red MacLean, then looked at her with conscious eyes and keen those gillies twain. Their meeting glances quelled her breath, they seemed to smite and deal her death. The pibroch's note was heard no more, the pallid mist had spread o'er all the world, a winding-sheet for all the world seemed dead. The wind and the wave upon its track shrieking the lost world's coronac. But broadening over their bows they see a line of angry foam, that hard on a bare nigh-sunken rock with maddening haste beats home. And all the woe that was no more, the dead world's woe was in its roar. The lady heard, and she rose up pale in the quivering boat upright. It was but the blind young blood that rose. Alas, what hope in flight! What hope of any help might be betwixt the dead world and the sea? And looking ahead where the breakers struck, the black, low-lying shore, t'was a man's hoarse voice that smote her ear, smote through the deafening roar. There one in love with death, it said, might have white sheets for a marriage bed. Then not for tumult of wind or wave that lady's heart beat high. It swung with the dead dull weight of lead, it struck as for danger nigh. A wild alarum, whereat each sense doubled the force of its frail defense. And served by the drift of the landward seas, the boat makes straight for the rock, 
she shoots the waves and in the trough lies stunned as if with the shock then writes herself as fearing more the helmsman than the deadly shore dumb mid the thunder of wind and surge the savage helmsman steers the world enlapsing from out their sight is clamoring at their ears but through the tumult they can feel the shingles grind a quivering keel and swept ashore on a towardly wave they haul the good boat in and without a word the brethren fall to work in the wildering din some deadlier task and still to come would seem to hold these brethren dumb then swill as strokes of the stormy sea more rude than the raging wind the lady is ware of two sudden arms that seize her body and bind and knows from its beating that dull way the heart her dagger had kept at bay the red maclean none other than he he has her in hand at last and o oh, ye smouldering fires of hell this time he holds her fast the teeth of the dragon beneath her vest are buried deep in her bleeding breast he stood with his bride on that trampled shore they two and they alone and with brackish kisses he pressed and pressed as one who would make his own her shuddering lips then he cast her down as a man might cast a stone and the rock that was all that was left of the world seemed sinking with that light weight so hurled he turned where the tattered fringe of the sea lighted the falling night that face that face on the brown sea-ware had shone so ghastly white he dares the foaming wrath of the surge he boards his boat as in flight he shouts haste brothers make for the large the waves are roaring a counter-charge the foster brothers they heave their hearts loud beating against the prow but in face of the countervailing sea the labor of man is slow and somewhat white hangs on to the boat for bearing the shallop to get afloat ah what but the swift young blood again uprisen as with a cry the voice of its still aspiring life not yet is it time to die has sent my lady in this wild way with grappling hands to plead and pray he struck her off the caitiff maclean the very breakers had fled to let her kneel but there be lost men and damned or ere they be dead kneel woman kneel said the red maclean and kneel as once i knelt in vain the sea in its sovereign strength returned and took the maid to its breast then arched itself a triumphant wave and bore her high on its crest to lay the face so ghostly fair unharmed again on the brown sea-ware my lady rose in the strength of her pride she saw herself there alone she rose and blessed the sundering sea the islet was all her own she rose and rose to its topmost ledge she made thereof a throne she cried maclean of duart farewell we're parted now as heaven and hell no blot on the shrouding mist maclean with his whole dark world seemed dead all even to the very hate of him gone like a knotless thread so that behind as about above was nothing left her but death and love then she wept for ruth of her maiden truth love have i waked for thee by day and night but to face thee now with this loathed stain on me come ocean and with your bitter brine sweeten these ravished lips of mine the hydra heads of the western waves broke parted to north and south 
they lipped the shore, commixed and closed as one vast foaming mouth, that hungered for her evermore, that all but slew her with its roar. And still she called upon love, false love, to think thy summary breath should drive a soul that trusted thee on this wild way of death. The foam-fringed rock was wearing small, scarce bigger now than a maiden's pall. The clamoring surges foamed and fell, pressed nearer and yet more near, then plunged and quivered in pale recoil of pity or eck of fear. They broke, they wandered round her seat, they went, they came, they licked her feet. And still she cried, and still she clung, O treacherous sea and slow, come take my life and make an end, since death will have it so. The mad sea melted at her commands, came back and kissed her clinging hands. The charging waves come on, fall off, rise sheer as a wall and steep. O Christ, must the whole dead world go down entombed in the charnel deep. The strong tide lays her bosom bare, she feels it dragging her tangled hair. Her hands have ceased to clasp and cling, she has shaken her spirit free. She will strive no more, she will make no moan, she will go with the clamoring sea. The waves ring only against the rock, but it feels as yielding beneath the shock, and still the breakers lift their crests. O maiden Mary, she cries, who will tell my lover my heart was true, who will write me in love's eyes? But the hydra heads have come and gone, and in face of death she still lives on. But they come no more, dear God, so nigh, they come not again, they fall, and trample the rock beside her feet, fierce monsters but held in thrall, tamed in their very pride's excess to this turbulent show of humbleness. The battle-front of the dawned sea, though the waves still chop and churn, is in forced retreat, the wavering tide has trembled long on the turn. Then one white wave came back and surged about her, and her lips were purged, and she lay there washed as for the grave, and purer than virgin snow. Her beauty seemed as a conquering power in this its overthrow. Her eyes were blinded, choked her breath, her ears were open gates of death. A panic seized on the routed waves, they fled to the sandy shelves, they writhed, they foamed, they broke, they turned and foundered upon themselves. But in that maiden was no stir great love had had his will of her. The terror deepened upon the sea, the stillness grew on the wind. They fled together, these fierce allies, and left their spoil behind. The one sole thing that glimmered wide and pure in all that world of night. Part Six. Two shapes passed over the sobbing sea to land at Dunley Bay. One passed at sunrise, one at noon of the new created day. The first was a work of God undone, the second a devil's, but ill begun. And both were silent as outer space, both white as the upper air, as one mask lay to the rising sun and one to the noonday bare. Broke from the first a gasping breath, shone on the second the beads of death. So the first was laid on the yellow sands to catch the coming of day, and the second was covered up close as night to hide from the noon away and light of life came into the first, but the second sweltered, a thing accursed. 
Through the standing floods, by the lonely ways, and the tracks which the sheep had worn, By Shamish he of the bloody hands that spotless lady is born. But her sleeping sense of his care is fain, and his bloody hands leave never a stain. He had sighted her soul when it rose and sued to his chief at her wild, wide eyes, and the sea and the shore through the livelong night had been ringing as with her cries. And they drew him whether he would or no with the cords of a man, and he had to go. So he found her there where the sea had laid and left her, but not a sound there breathed from her body as mournfully the waves fell sobbing round. Then a stainless lily, alive or dead, he gathered her up in his hands and fled. Then as bloody Shamish was making the shore and laying that white lady, in the sun's warm bed on the yellow sands MacLean was putting to sea, with the waxen shape that in hate of hell his limmer had molten and made so well. But or ever the seeming widower had come with the seeming dead to Dunley Bay, that first true twain were well on their journey sped, been crocken behind them, frowning above and blocking the way of the foes of love. Then they hail the fairy and lightly go where heavily erst she came, and the jubilant song of Glenara fell, sets her frozen blood aflame. And she lights at the gate, and she seems to win her way like a chartered ghost within. And she glides to her place by the heiress screen, and she faces her kinsmen all, for a wandering breath that told of her death had called them together in hall. You must open your hearts as of yore to me, for you get me back at the gift of the sea. They opened their hearts, and they lent their ears to her tale, but on every dirk, a hand was locked in a fast embrace, and with promise of wilder work, than ever had been in the age-long reign of hate twixt Clan Campbell and Clan MacLean. Then the women swarmed round her and bore her away, as a leaf on the stream at flood. They shrieked wild curses, but eased their hearts with tears, while they talked of blood. And my lady who heard was resolving it all in the call of the cuckoo, the song of the fall. But when brave and sweet from her maiden bower she issued again they had done, and the whole clan rose to the queen of the feast, and she faced them and saw but one, till her thought was drawn to that vanished shore by the ghost of the dirge of Macrimmon Moor. Faint as a travelling spirit of sound it came and went on the breeze, now low in the valley, now high on the hill, now lost in the leaves of the trees. But ever emerging and ever more near, as men clutched their dirks and bent forward to hear, for they knew of the thing that was like to appear. A lie will be loud in its own defense, as a fearsome heart will be bold, and in every clockin' the thing went through, the lie had been told and told, and the doom of the lady lamented o'er in the wild death-song of Macrimmon Moor. Now it wails, it shrieks, it is passing the cross, it has entered the gate and the beat grows louder and louder the steady ground tone of an army of tramping feet. Then the great hall fills with a funeral train in weeds of mourning the false MacLean, steps warily close to an open bier with one downward fiery eye that is found away through his folded plaid fast fixed on the waxen lie. Then he lifts his hand and he stops the march of the train in the favoring gloom of an arch. And one clan halts in the cavernous shade, one stands in a bright half-ring, By the torch-lit board each man in his place, but alert, 
and ready to spring. If damnable treason for once overbore the bloodless craft of Macallum Moore, then from out the darkness a hollow voice comes deep as the gloom and dull, and the Campbells are fretting like hounds in leash, while the torturous Lord of Maul pours the tale of his loss and his dole in their ears, while his false eyes verily shed false tears. Abide, my brothers, Macallum Moore has taken his sister's hand, and adown the hall in their Campbell pride they pace together and stand, in a halo of light by the open bier he waving a burning brand, in the false dead face which wears flat in the flare as the falser living shrinks back from the glare. But the lady has fronted the men of Argyle, and though never a sign gave she, her heart on another's made silent call, and the twain were suddenly three, she holding inward with her maiden might the armed right hand of her own true knight. The mourner has turned in his ghastly fear from that deadlier image than death, and lo, on the topmost stair as of life sees the Lady Elizabeth, and the radiant vision had all but slain, as with affluent being that caitiff Maclean. His lieges are thronging in hall and court, and many bold men and true, but in view of that lady who dazzles their eyes, they cower and tremble too. Tis an unkinned sight, and a weird to see a spirit stand clear of its own body. Now Maclean lies bleeding and overthrown in his recreant haste to fly, but Macallum Moore had foreseen his gain in the life of his false ally. Though his fiercer namesmen had all but broke from his cautious hold when his sister spoke. She spoke in her tolerant scorn. This chief has suffered some wrong of me, which failing to right, he went near to avenge in the strength of his fear the sea. I stand here victor. Let no man dare to take from the vanquished the life I spare. She seized the brand and tossed it alive on the waxen shape where it lay, and the full fed leaped up to the roof, and the night was a brighter day. Then Red Maclean, who dabbled with gore and abject with terror, fled out of the door, to his whilom lady became no more. And she spoke again to her own true love, none hearing but only he. Forgive that a traitor in love's despite once dared in sight of the sea, but only once, high God, he knows, to touch the lips of me. Sith the great white wave that broke from above hath made them meet now for death or for love. Then she turned in her pride to her feudal lord, said, Brother, now give me shrift. I was offered to shame, I was offered to death. As I hold at the sea's free gift, my life and love I will hold them fast, or find me a grave with the true at last. But her brother has taken and joined their hands, and so soothfast was the kiss, so dear love's due to her lips so true she had liked to have died of bliss. Then over her cheek as she drooped her head, love's banner at last rose red, rose red. End of poem. This recording is in the public domain. End of Selected Poetry on or about the Macleans, compiled by John Patterson Maclean.